Good to see all of you this morning. We're thankful for those who are visiting with us. Uh, we've got several out of town. Did you mention Marie also? She is, she is out of uh, Marilyn. She's from Marie's here. There she is. <laughs> Marilyn is out. Did you mention Marilyn? Yeah, she's out of town also. So we've got several that are uh, away from us today. So for those who are visiting with us, glad that you are, are here with us. Can we understand the Bible alike? Um, I will tell you as we get into this this morning that I had uh, I had preached this lesson a number of years ago and over the years you know worked on it revised it and that sort of thing and even this week uh, was doing that and Gerald uh, we were together yesterday morning and was uh, would say we were working on some technology issues he was he was working I was watching and, and I mentioned I was going to work on this lesson also which I did a after he left. And even this morning, as I um, have a tendency to get up early on Sunday mornings and look over my notes and so forth, and then finally I decided, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing all those notes today. <laughs> so it comes down to uh, this, and there's a reason for that. Because as I thought about that, I thought, this is basic, this is fundamental. I don't want to overcomplicate it. And so if you want a copy of this outline, I'd be glad to get it to you. But there's just really about three main points that we want to make from this. You know, as you come to the scriptures, to see that big picture, which we've been studying, we did that overview of the Old Testament. We're now in the midst of this overview of the New Testament. On Wednesday evening, we're doing the intertestament period, the 400-year stretch there between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of of Jesus coming in the New Testament. To see that basic story goes a long ways in understanding the scriptures and how God intended for us to understand it and make applications of it. That's basic. That's fundamental. I believe one of the other basic fundamental uh, approaches to the scriptures is you act based upon what is stated, not on what isn't. Another whole lesson, and we'll talk about that sometime. And what is referred to as the silence of the scriptures, doing what it says, not what it doesn't say, and then taking liberty to do those things that it doesn't strictly forbid. The other basic fundamental lesson that goes along with our approach to scriptures is can we understand the Bible alike? My affirmative answer to that question is, yes, we can understand the Bible alike. Now, as you look around within the religious world today, people would say, well, obviously we don't understand it alike. And I would say, I recognize that. So the question is not, can we understand it, or, or, or do we understand it alike? The question is, can we understand it alike? And the answer to that and I believe what we'll look at from the scriptures this morning, that it is affirmed, yes, we can understand the Bible alike. Do all people understand it alike? No, they don't. But that's not the question. The question is, can we understand it alike? As you look around in the religious world today, you might ask about salvation, and you might get various answers. You might ask just about worship and how to worship God, and you might get various answers. 
you might ask about the organization of the church and get various answers. If you ask about the Trinity, you will get various answers. But are the answers to all of those questions contained within God's Word? Yes, they are. And did God intend for us to understand that? Yes, He did. And should we be able to understand it alike? Yes, we should be able to. I want you to take a look, if you got your Bible with you, take a look at John the 17th chapter. That's where we're going to begin this morning. In John 17, in verses 15 through 21. And I just want to read to you from Jesus' prayer. In John the 17th chapter, this is the last night that Jesus will be with his disciples. And there's some things that he desires for them. And that Jesus had came, and now he's getting ready, the next day he will be crucified. He will then be ascending back to the Father. And these men that are with him, at this time, they're taking over the mission, so to speak. And so Jesus is leaving them some final instructions. You can look from John 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and then read this prayer that Jesus has for them on this occasion, that final night. Notice what he says, John 17, beginning at verse 15. I do not pray that you take them out of the world. Father, what he's saying is, I'm leaving them here for a reason. And so I'm not going to pray that you just remove them from the world. But that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They're going to be different, just as I have been different, Father. Sanctify them, verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Father, I want them to be set apart. I want people to be able to see that they're different. The way in which that is to be accomplished is through your word. Some translations say your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. Father, they're going to teach your truth. So I'm praying for them, but I'm not praying for just them. I'm praying for also for those who will come to believe on me through the word that they teach. Verse 21. That they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. What Jesus just pray for? That these that are remaining, they would be set apart from the world, 
And the way in which that would be taking place is through his word. And he prays not only for them, but for those who come to believe on him through that word, and that they all might be one. That's what Jesus was praying for. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, a passage that we oftentimes quote, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we oftentimes talk about the fact that that word inspiration means God breathed. That God is the one who gave us this word. In Ephesians 5 and verse 17, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, be not unwise, but understand what the will of God is. Father, I'm praying for them. I want them to be sanctified. I want them to be set apart. How's that going to be accomplished? It's going to be through your word. And through that same word that they know and that they preach to others, that the others might be set apart and that they might all be one. And these scriptures have come from you. They are God-inspired. And God desires for men to not be unwise but understand what the will of God is. Jesus prayed for it, God inspired it, it was delivered, and he wants us to understand what his will is. When Paul wrote to Timothy, over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in about verse 15, he told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, Timmy, this, Timothy, this word that's going to be delivered to you, you're going to have to read it. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to learn how to handle it correctly. Why? Ephesians 5. So that you can understand what the will of God is. Three points I want us to give consideration to this morning. Men can understand God's word. Men have understood God's word in the past. And men can understand it alike. So first of all, very first point is, we can understand the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 3, a passage, I won't spend more time on that, just mentioning once again. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 where he says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter said that no prophecy of Scripture ever came by the will of man, but men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So based upon what Paul says and based upon what Peter says, the Scriptures that we have in their entirety were given by inspiration, whether it's the Old Testament or whether it's the New Testament. This is God-breathed. This came from Him. Stop and think about that for a moment. Here's God who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, and has decided to communicate with his creation, and it says that he's going to do it through this written word. Now what's that suggest? What's that imply? Two things. The Bible, the way it is, is the way God gave it. And God knowing his creation 
delivered it to man the way he is. God's word delivered the way it is to man the way he is. And men are going to be held accountable to no one. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 17, once again, he said, Be not unwise, but understand what the will of God is. In John, the eighth chapter, in verse 40, John, the twelfth chapter, in verse 48, Jesus says, He that rejecteth me and receives not my saying has one who judges him. This same word which I have spoken shall judge you in that last day. Paul says, you can know what the will of God is. Jesus says, the same word that you've been delivered is what you're going to be judged by in that last day. So the question is, can we understand it? Or are we going to suggest that somehow God is going to judge us using a standard that we can't understand? Or has God delivered to us what we can understand and expect us to understand it and one day we'll be held accountable to it? If you turn to Ephesians 3 once again, that's the scripture that we read this morning. In verses 1 through 6. But what I want to draw your attention to basically is in verses 3 through 5 for just a moment. Ephesians 3 and verse 3, it says, and Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, but keeping in mind, when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, there, the emphasis in this letter is real, really on the universal church and the salvation for all, for all mankind. And specifically, he's talking about the Gentiles here. Ephesians 3 and verse 3, how that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already. By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. What's Paul saying? Paul says, I wrote to you so that when you read, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which was made known by revelation. The word revelation there, it means to lay bare, to make naked, to lay open. So what Paul is saying is, the way that God made known, how he's going to bring about man's salvation, his holy apostles and prophets were inspired. They wrote down that word. You read it. You can understand it so that you know his knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So he shows the pattern. We were inspired. We wrote it. God intended for you to read it and to understand it so that you would know how God is bringing salvation to mankind. God intended for his word to be understood. 
Ephesians 5. If he's not unwise, but understand what the will of God is. John 12 and verse 48. The same word shall judge you in that last day. At the close of the Sermon on the Mount, an illustration that we oftentimes use and even teach in young people's class is about the wise man building his house upon the rock. Matthew 7 and verse 24, Jesus says, He who hears these words of mine and does them shall be likened to the man who built his house on the rock. Who is it that's building his house on the rock? The man who hears and then does these things. That's the wise man. Men can understand God's word. God commands that we understand his word. Second, men have known the truth in the past. Take a look at the book of Nehemiah, and I'll just remind you as you turn back there, we said this in our Old Testament survey as we did it. The book of Nehemiah is talking about that period of time when the Jews have returned from Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 12. I'm going to read that in just a moment. The reason why the Jews had gone into Babylonian captivity is because God had delivered his law to them. Remember that when we studied the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus? And God gave them instruction through Moses. This is the word which I am commanding you. That when you go into the land, that you may keep it and that you may do it. God gave his word, his law, to them, expecting them to understand it and to keep it when they went into the land. And we've studied that story well, didn't we? How'd that turn out? Not so well, did it? The Jews had a real trouble, real time, trying to keep the law. And God had told them that if you don't keep the law, just as I'm delivering you into this land, I will drive you from that land. Well, by the time we get to the book of Nehemiah, we're talking about the time when they are now coming back home because they've been in Babylonian captivity. Isn't it? And the reason why they have been in captivity is because they didn't keep God's word. They didn't keep God's law. I'll read to you from Nehemiah 8, chapter, beginning at verse 1. And there's a list of names there that I'm going to tell you ahead of time about verse 4. I'm going to skip. Because I would stumble over half those names anyway. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. They're back in the land. They've been called together. We're going to read. We're going to read God's law. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. 
So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for this purpose. And beside him at his right hand were all these people. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. They knew what they were about to hear. They were going to hear God's law. His word. There was a reverence. There was respect. respect. They recognized that. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. While lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then there's another list of people. But in the latter part of verse 7, notice what it says. And the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They knew that. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. And for this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared. He didn't say, now some of you may get this and some of you won't. And some of you may interpret, interpret it one way and some of you is going to interpret it another way. No, it says they gave him the sense. And they understood people were glad about it. Moses had been commanded to teach them. Turn back in Exodus, turn back in Deuteronomy. And they were taught in order that they might do that law. And so it was understood and it was to be obeyed. Failure brought consequences. God had told them when they went into the land. He was bringing them into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. He was blessing them, and they were to keep his law. But they failed him. 
until, until finally, providentially, and we studied that too, how through Cyrus, God allowed the people to return to the homeland. And when they came back to the homeland, that law was read again. They needed to return to that. And that's what needed to be established. Now here's the quiz. Just in passing, we say this. Remember about what time that was with the Babylonian captivity? They were carried away about 606, the first carrying away, 606 BC. They returned about 536. Think about that. About 536. When Nehemiah is talking, you're talking in the early maybe you should say late by now <laughs> around 500 BC slightly later. listen to what it said in Malachi Malachi 3 and verse 7 yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances God through Malachi is now telling from the days of your fathers, you've gone away. And once again, you're going away. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, I'm confused. How did we turn away? And now you say we need to come back. I'm confused. How shall we come back? Here's the second part of the quiz. When did the Old Testament close? Remember? Around 430 B.C. They returned to the land in 536. By 430... A hundred years, approximately a hundred years later, God's saying, you're just like your fathers. You're doing it again. And then they respond to God and they say, how shall we return? What do you mean we've gone away? God said, you're being just like your fathers. You're turning away from my ways. And God was holding the counter. They should have understood Yet they were acting like, we don't understand what you're talking about. Does that sound remotely familiar to anything that goes on today? With God's word? I'm confused. I just don't understand. I'm not here to be critical of anybody. I'm here to try to point out what God's word says. And what God's word says is just very simply this. His word is inspired. It came from him. And he delivered it to man. And he expects us to read it and to understand it and to do it. And he says one day we'll be judged by it. That's just the truth of God's word. God expects men to understand it. He expected them to understand it in the past. And he expects us to understand it today. And he expects us to understand it 
for life. Third point. Man can understand the Bible for life. Understanding in and of itself implies conformity. If you understand something, you understand it alike. Now, one person may understand it, and another person not understand it, and so there would be division. There may be two people that don't understand it. There may be conformity. There may be division because neither one of them understands it. But if they both understand it, they're going to understand it a lot. And that's what God is saying. Sometimes people will say things like this. Is there anything in the Bible that's revealed in God's Word that you don't know? From the mind of God. And so then they will say, well, if there's anything that you don't know, then you ought to be able to accept me and the way that I understand. <laughs> Let's see how that works with math. Are there any equations that maybe you don't understand and can't work out? So therefore, you just don't know anything about math? Try that at the bank. My math shows I've got plenty of money. And they'll say, well, our math shows you don't have any. And you owe us. That doesn't work in any other realm. And it won't work with God's word. Peter readily recognizes that we are not all on the same level in our spiritual knowledge and understanding. Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 and verse 2 that like newborn babes, we should desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. He'll write a little later that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a growth process. There is an understanding that takes place. But to look at it and say, I don't understand, so therefore I don't need to grow, is denying what God's Word plainly says. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Peter says that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. I'll give you the rest of 2 Peter 3, 16, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 now because it's the passage we often have quote. Verse 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But verse 17 says the reason why scripture is given. That it's profitable, it's beneficial for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness. So that the person, so that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Everything that we need, God has given us guidance for. So whatever particular subject it is that we need to sit down and study, we can find the answers for that in His Word. It's an all-sufficient 
died for life before eternity. Remember last week in last week's lesson we used the acronym B I B L E. Remember what it stood for? Basic instruction before leaving Earth. God's given it to us. It's an all-sufficient God. So we ask ourselves this question. I just want us to take a look at a few passages. Why is it that men don't understand it a lot? I want you to take a look at Acts the 17th chapter. Acts the 17th chapter, and this is the occasion when Paul is passing through the city of Athens. And he recognizes that they are a very religious group. And that they had built altars and monuments to all kinds of gods. In Acts the 17th chapter, I want to read verse 22 and 23, and then I'll, I'll skip down and read verse 32, or 30 and 32. Acts 17 and verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Did Paul just say, Well, you want to worship God or God. I know there's a little confusion going on here, but that's okay. Is that what he said? No, he said, I see that you've even erected a monument to the unknown God. Well, let me tell you about that God that you don't know because you need to know him. Verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, and he has given assurance to, of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. Paul says, Let me tell you about this unknown God. In the times of ignorance, God has now overlooked, but now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. We need to, you need to know him. And then he said he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world, and he's given proof by the resurrection. What was the response to that? Some began to mock. Why? They had a preconceived idea about the resurrection. Does the Bible talk about the resurrection? Absolutely. Does it teach the truth about the resurrection? Absolutely. Does it teach the truth about a day of judgment? Absolutely. And yet these people mock. Will that stop God from judging these people? No. Because he's made his truth known. So why was there division? Because of preconceived ideas. Does that sound familiar today? Why there might be division in the world? 
Because some have preconceived ideas and don't want to accept what God's Word has to say about any particular subject. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 58. The occasion there, I'll just tell you quickly, is the stoning of Stephen and what we sometimes refer to as that first Christian martyr. If you back up and read the entirety of Acts chapter 7, Stephen delivers a rather scathing rebuke to the Jews and to their forefathers. And as a result of that, they then turn on Stephen and they're going to stone him to death. Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 51. He says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did also. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their coats at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. What Jesus, Stephen charged him with. God delivered the law. You refused to keep Did he tell him, well, some of you understood it, some of you didn't. You know that word that God delivered? It's kind of confusing, so I can understand why you didn't. <coughs> no, he charged them with not keeping it. And what was their response? We don't like what you have to say. So therefore, they stone you. So why is it that there's division sometimes? Sometimes these people say, I'm not going to do it. And they refuse. That's what Stephen was saying. Acts 13. Right, quickly, 42 through 45. Acts 13. Paul's first missionary uh, tour, which we'll be talking about before long in our Wednesday evening class in a little while. <laughs> Acts 13, beginning at verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, most of the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming they opposed the things that were spoken by Paul. What was causing the confusion on this particular occasion? There are a lot of people that were starting to follow after Paul and Barnabas and the truths that they were teaching. There were others that were envious. They were jealous. So they opposed. Just out of jealousy. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, will be the last one I'll take a look at there. Matthew chapter 22, and about verses 29 through 32, just on Wednesday evening, we had talked about some of the sects of, uh, of the Jews in the first century. 
one of those sects within the Jews was the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Neither did they believe in angels. Matthew the 22nd, verse 29 uh, through 32. Jesus answered and said to them, now the Sadducees had come to him and, and they, they thought they had a pretty ironclad sort of argument. And the way that they would go about this, about this disproving of the resurrection, is they would use the institution of marriage to disprove the resurrection. Now, a woman had a husband, and he died. Remember this story? And then she was married to him, and he died. And then she married somebody else, and he died. And then kept going, and kept going, and kept going, until she had seven husbands. And then they asked the question, who will be her husband in the resurrection? <laughs> I'll see you get past that one, Jesus. You know, we've got you in a corner that you can't get out of. So verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. What's Jesus saying? You know why there's division here between us? You haven't read and studied the scriptures. And you don't understand what God has revealed about the resurrection. And you don't understand when he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. By implication, you should have understood that there's life after death. That's what Jesus said. The problem is not being married to seven different people. The problem is you don't understand how it works. And you don't understand the scriptures. And you don't make proper application of it. That's the reason why there's division. So what's the New Testament point out about the reasons why there's division within the religious world? Sometimes people are just prejudiced have preconceived ideas. Sometimes people just refuse. I'm not going to do it. Sometimes people are jealous. You know what? They're starting to get kind of a big following over there. And then sometimes, just the last second. There have been in the past some that suggest that the Bible is clear in some areas and unclear in other areas. So I'm going to ask the question, which areas are they? And who decided which areas are clear and which areas aren't? And when God delivered in his word, did he ever say, now some of this you won't understand, and some of it you will. Some of it's pretty clear, but the other parts of it, I couldn't quite figure out how to deliver it so you would understand it. You never see that. And Jesus says that we're going to be held accountable to it. God commands us to understand his will. Ephesians 5 and verse 17. 
2 Corinthians 5 says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things which we have done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Jesus prayed for unity that we might all be one. Is the world united today religiously? No, they're not. But that's not to say that it shouldn't be that way. And God's word clearly teaches that that's what we ought to work towards, that we ought to be united on his word. Some people have just given up on it. God's word says we should never give up on it. Isaiah, the 55th chapter, he says that my word shall not return into me void, though it shall accomplish the thing for which I have sent it forth. We studied the book of Hebrews here a while back. And maybe you recall in the fourth chapter where it speaks about God's Word. And that it's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And he goes ahead and he says that it divides asunder to the joints of marrow and the thoughts and the intents. What he's saying? God's word will determine whether or not you have a heart to do it or not. That's what he's saying. So when a person reads it and says, I can't understand this, do you want to understand it? God says you can. When God's word speaks on a particular subject and you say, Well, I see that differently, God's word says, Why is that? Have you been prejudiced or biased for some reason? When God says something and a person says, I'm just not going to do it, God's word says, that's just confusing to get all the calories. Sometimes God speaks on a particular subject and people become confused about it. And he said, the way to come to understand it is read it, study it, and you can know. And the desire it's an all-sufficient guide for life. Can we understand the Bible life? Scripture teaches, yes, we can. And that's what we ought to work for. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and that are all that are here. It was Jesus. It was Jesus that said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Sometimes people want to deny that. On the day of judgment, would you stand before him and tell him, I just couldn't figure it out whether or not I should be baptized or not. I was confused. That didn't seem real clear. I think the Lord will ask, how could I make any mistake? He that believes that he's baptized. That's what the Lord says. God's word also says if you've not been living faithfully as you should, he says to confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and the blood of his son will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just up to us to determine whether or not we want to do it. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all in here. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.